you're not gonna you're not gonna become that. You actually have the position of being a son and a daughter, but you grow into that identity. This is what's difficult a lot of times because we don't feel like we're sons and daughters, but the reality is is that you are, and that by following Jesus, the Bible says that we become. We've been given, we've been translated from darkness to light, we've been adopted into the family when we receive Jesus, but as we follow him, we become. It's like having a child, right? If I have children here, parents, I pray for you, I empathize with you, I too am a parent, so I know how difficult it is. But when that child is born, right? You know, I, mean, I, I told the story first service, when our, when our daughter was born, Sherrod and I had never been parents before. And so the baby comes out all cone-headed, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Their head's all kind of like in a weird shape, and you're kind of like, is that normal? I mean, I, I don't know. She doesn't look like me. She doesn't look like you. I think she gets that from your side of the family. No, we're just saying. But then the, as the baby develops, they form, right? They begin to form in their attributes. They begin to form in their identity. And the more they are a part and the more they associate with the family, they actually take on the culture, the atmosphere, the name, the, the attitudes that happen within the home, good and bad. It's the same way with us. When we become born again and you give your life to Christ, you may not look like much, okay? You might be all cone-headed. You might lean a little to the left, you know. You might, you, you, you might have all kinds of things going on, but you are still born again. You are still God's son or still God's daughter. But as you walk with him and you develop with him and you grow with him, you begin to form. You understand this? We begin to take on his nature. We become like him. While we are born as a son and a daughter, as we live in towards his, towards his kingdom, towards his heart, towards his understandings that he's trying to get across to us, we become like him. Jesus said this, if we want to understand our nature of our father, if we're called to be like our father, we want to know what he's like. So I'm going to give you some basic stuff. In this manner, therefore, pray you. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. This was a revolutionary concept. Jesus is speaking to Jews who had a nation, a culture of people that were known as a theocracy. They were not even to have a government. Their government was God. That's how God originally designed Israel. They, of course, they didn't go that way. They wanted a king, and they said, we want to do this, and they went their own way. But in the beginning, God never intended them to be anything other than under his rule and under his governorship. Okay? While he told them many, many times in the prophets, and he taught them many, many times that he was like a father to them and they were his children, they never got the concept. Somehow, after 1,500 years of following him as a nation, they didn't understand that God was father. Duh. You know what I'm saying? Yet the church is no different. Years and generations and centuries go by, and we don't get him. As, we don't understand that he's father. We don't understand this. We don't understand, well, he's father, but, with, but somewhere there's a breach in the identity. Because if he's father and we understand ourselves to be sons and daughters, there should be something different about that relationship. There should be something different about our lives and the way we interact with him. So when Jesus said, pray that God in heaven is your father, they freaked out. It was a completely new concept to them. What this verse is telling us is that God is our father and that we are sons and daughters. And what that says is that between us and the Lord, there is intimacy. Intimacy. Say this with me. Intimacy is into me you see. That's it. Is vulnerability. That's what intimacy is. The ladies are going to get this. When it comes to intimacy and love, women understand it way more than guys do. Intimacy. Tell me everything. You know, show me everything. I want to know. And so it's like the women want, the father wants that heart. He wants to know everything about you. 
and he wants you to know everything there is about him. And sometimes that has to happen in stages. People have a very difficult time with Father. They do. And so what the New Testament gives us is almost a staged relationship. The reason is, is when, when God says, I'm your Father, to a lot of people, that's a difficult thing to palate. They can't digest that right away. They had a broken relationship with their father. Their father was abusive. Their father was negligent. Their father wasn't in the home. They never knew their dad. Whatever it may be, there's something. Their father was selfish. The model of fatherhood, that's why the enemy attacks fathers so desperately, because it mars the image that man is to have when he comes to Christ towards the father. That's why it's under such an attack and it's such an assault. That's why we have fatherless homes, Right? And so for me, when I came to Jesus, that was a difficult thing for me to accept, coming from the background that I came from. And the New Testament gives us staged of relationships. We have friendship, or excuse me, we have servitude, we have friendship, and we have uh, father-daughter, son, uh, father, father-son, father-daughter relationship. The highest relationship Jesus wants us to be at is him as father and we as sons and daughters, but that is hard, man. It's hard. My dad wasn't in a home. I didn't really have a lot of models for this. My dad had left lived his own life. I didn't really even know my dad until he was 19, until I was 19 years old. When I was a little kid, I knew him, but there was a huge gap. And the biggest gap was in the, is what they call the formidable years, okay? That, pay, that stage of adolescence, when you go from boy to man. That's when the boy needs his father. That's when the imprinting happens, or the lack of the imprinting happens. And so I didn't have the imprinting. And so when God said he's father, when I came to Jesus, I was like, whoa, that was hard for me. It was hard for me to relate, and it wasn't that I couldn't understand it. It was just in my heart. It was hard for me because conditional love was what I understood, right? I understood if you do this, then I'll do that. If you you do this, you do that. Never good enough. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, rejection. You know, you feel rejected. You don't even know why. Maybe it's your father's selfish issues, but you transfer it back to yourself, and you think, well, maybe there's something I did wrong. You know, maybe if I just do this, then he'll accept me, and that's the mirror image that we have of father. And what it took time was the Lord to teach me, I am not like that. That is not who I am. You've been abandoned. I will not leave you. You were never provided for. I will provide for you. You were never validated. I am your validator. That is the greatest absence that the father leaves is a lack of validation. The father is the validator. You hear me tell you it all the time. He's the one that tells the girl she's beautiful. If, the, if a daughter is not validated by her father, she runs around looking for other men to validate her constantly. If a boy doesn't know he's strong and then he's become a man and the father hasn't validated that over the life of the child, then the boy runs around looking to be validated. Look how strong I am. And we do it in oh so many ways. Men tend to sexualize it. Well, look how many women I got. I'm a man. Or a deeper hunger is that we go out and it's, it's a same-sex hunger. A lot of guys, there's an absentee of a father there, and they're hungry to prove to themselves that they're worthy and deserving of male love. They don't even know it. It's a subconscious thing. It works beneath the surface. We think it's all what we understand. It is far more beneath the surface than it is in the surface. Come on. Yeah. And so God is Father. And if it's hard for you to palate that, it's hard for you to digest that, then you have to come back to another level in order to come to that level, because he wants you at that level in fullness, but he'll take you there. I had to understand him as servant. I serve you. Whatever you say, I do. And from whatever you say, I do, stand up straight, Kevin, buckle your belt, comb your hair, stand like this, get ready, be this. I had to learn discipline. That's what I needed. And so he disciplined me as a servant. 
And I had to relate to him on the level of a servant. And then he had to relate to me on the level of a friend. This is why I know this stuff, because I've been there, right? And so he had to coach me as a friend, and he had to show me, I'm with you. I'm going to show you things. I'm going to develop things with you. I'm partnering with you. You're partnering with me. And then from the friendship relationship, he goes, I want to take you a little higher. I want to take you a little deeper. Because from friendship, he builds trust. From servitude, he builds obedience. From friendship, he will build trust. And from fatherhood, he will build relationship. You see? And that's really where he wants us to go. And so sometimes there's a glitch, and you're having a hard time grasping father. Okay, back up. Can you grasp friend? No. Okay, then grasp servant. We all can grasp servant. But if you partner with the Lord and allow him to take you there, he wants to build this in you. And part of the reasons that Christians struggle, it's not even an identity thing or a cognitive thing sometimes. It's just that they need to be developed into that. Trust in a father is difficult. Can I get a witness? Especially when you've been abused, abandoned, neglected, whatever it may be. It's hard to trust a father. It just is. I'm telling you from experience. But the Lord proved himself faithful, and I know him like no other. You know, and he's truly my father. I know no other father. You know, I almost feel guilty saying that, but I know no other father. He is my father in all things, and I am his son, and that's all I want to be is his son, and all I want to do is glorify him. That's where he wants to bring all of us. So you got to give yourself a little bit of a break. Damage Incorporated is really where the United States is. I heard a pastor say, you know, what do you notice? He's been ministry 40 years. They asked him, he said, what do you notice about this in 20 years ago? And he said, the emotional train wrecks of people is off the, tra- off the charts. He said 20 years ago, the emotional train wreck, people's emotional damage was nowhere near what it is today. Uh, big reasons, there's a bunch of reasons for that. Cultural degrading, but there's emphasis, you know, we have absence of fathers and church has gotten weak and fluffy and, you know, pinwheels and, you know, cotton candies and marshmallows on Sunday morning instead of talking to people in a real way and, t- and driving the car up into the living room or driving a car up in the driveway and going sitting down on the couch and saying, hey, here's where we're all at. Can we agree? You know, what I'm telling you is a reality and we don't want to, pre- we pretend like it's not there, but this is a truth. God is father. We're sons and daughters, intimacy within the relationship, but we bear his name. So allow this to happen with you. Jesus, and here's what it says in Exodus, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. And here's the dullness of Christian understanding. We think, oh, don't take, don't say Jesus, 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 Jesus. Don't say GD, you're taking the Lord's name in vain. But that verse means do not carry the Lord's name in vain. Do not honor him. Do not say, I'm a believer, I'm a follower, and let there be no evidence of that in your life. Do not carry my name in an empty way. I'm a Christian, okay, but your lifestyle lines up nothing with the righteousness of God. Your lifestyle means nothing as it pertains to the kingdom, right? You're carrying the Lord's name in vain. And look, we're not all perfect. We can't get it all right. But we can get some things right, can't we? Right? There's a few things we can get right. (laughs) If we were to follow you around, there would be some evidence of an expression of faith, some evidence of the gospel rooted in your heart. There should be something there. The problem in American Christianity, and we're teaching this in our churches, you know, I believe in cultural relevancy, which means meeting people where they're at. I believe in that. But not at the expense of spiritual power, and not at the expense of spiritual transformation. I tell this to young guys all the time. I said, skinny jeans and smoke machines are fine. But Jesus hasn't called you to be cool. He's called you to be effective. Huh? I'm just saying. If you can have skinny jeans and smoke machines and be effective, great. But if you got skinny jeans and smoke machines and you can't transform people's lives, then there's a problem there. Because I'm going to tell you, people grave, gravitate towards the lowest common denominator. 
The hungry want to be changed and want to be challenged. But for the most part, they're like, I don't know. Don't point out the issue that I didn't have a father. You know, don't tell me that I'm broken. Just tell me everything's okay. Well, I got news for you. The emperor has no clothes, if you know the story. You know, we are hopeless and helpless, and we need Jesus every minute of every hour of every day. And we need to be in a, tra- in a constant process of transformation in order for us to become. It's not Shazam Christianity. I confess Jesus, and now everything's all right. It don't work like that. You're born again. You're repositioned, but you grow into that. That's the point. We shouldn't carry his name in vain. Next slide, please. Good job, John. Oh, no. Remember I told you, one finger. It's all we need. One finger. It's all I just, this, that right there. Oh, there it is. We're back. We need to know the name and the heart of our Father. We carry his name in an empty manner. So Jesus says this. This is my Father's glory that we bear fruit. So if we carry his name, something's supposed to be produced out of our life. Right? What is his name? His name is Yahweh. 6,800 times that word is used. You think he's got a name? You think he wants us to know his name? It is the name Yahweh. Yahweh. What does the name Yahweh mean? You ready? It means the becoming one. I'll take you deeper. It means the manifested one. The one who has made himself known, the one who will make him, who's making himself known now, and the one who wants to make himself known in the future. The one who makes himself known. It's the God who shows up by fire, people. The God who answers by fire, Elijah said, he's the one that's God. The one who manifests himself, he's the one who's God. Oh, this is the issue. We serve the God who wants to show up. Aren't you glad? And Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew the name Yahweh, but he told Moses, they didn't know me by this name. And he uses the same word, but he changes the verb tense in the book of Exodus. He said, they knew me as the God that was and the God that is to be. I'm telling you I'm the God of the now. That's what he told Moses. He changed the verb tense within his name, a very subtle change. It's a Hebrew word. He puts a tense in there called hayah. Say it with me. Hayah. Hayah. It means right now. And Betty's going to do it with me. Hayah. There you go. See if I got anybody over here. Hiya. No, I got a couple. All right, that's good. Anybody over here? Hiya. All right. It means now. Now. I told Moses, now is, I'm not the God of yesterday, and I'm not the God of the sweet by and by. Good Lord, Christian. You know, that's how we think of him. Well, he's the God to save me. Boy, a little wretch like me. And now I'm just standing here, biding my time, working it all out, waiting for the sweet by and by. That we, under, we don't understand who he is. He's not just the God of yesterday and tomorrow. He's the God of right now. And he's not just the God who, was, who did what he did. Oh, you know, the glory days. Oh, I remember 20 years ago, I saw one person healed. Oh, it was a miracle. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't. You, you just don't know. And then a few years after that, we saw one missionary actually go into the world and do something. Wow. It was glory days. That was the way it was. He's the God of the right now. He's the God who manifests and makes himself known right now, today. It is a covenant name. It means he binds himself to you. Covenant means to bind. So when God gives you this name, he's binding himself to you. You understand that? That's why it's the blood of Jesus, because the blood was considered the covenant bonding agent. And so when it's the blood of Jesus, he binds himself to you. It means he doesn't let go. Even if you're faithless, he's faithful. Hello. Because he has bound himself to you by his blood. It's a story, yeah, come on, man. I'm about to shout myself down. That's what I told first service. 
Somebody gonna give me an amen or I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump down there and start doing it myself. <laughs> That's awesome. He told me a long time ago, man, so many times you wanna quit? Let me put this one on you. When you give your life to Jesus, you take a blood oath. Do you know that? That's why the Bible says be faithful unto death. You bleed white before you deny him. You bleed white, but you do not deny him because the oath that you have taken to him is by blood. You get that? You get that? So quickly we would deny him. So quickly. Who's bewitched you, foolish Galatians, that you leave him so quickly? Who's bewitched you? Who told you that? That's what he's saying. Whose voice have you been listening to besides his that you would leave him? Who's convinced you of such things? Who's bewitched you? Come on. It is a covenant name. To his covenant he attaches promises. Yeshua. That is Yahweh saves. What it means is Jesus come, the word became what? Ooh. Yahweh manifests. The word became flesh. And Yeshua means Yahweh saves. So Yahweh manifests salvation. I am salvation. That's what he came. I'm in the flesh, and I've come to show forth salvation. So Hebrew word is Jehovah. That's the Hebrew word. Jehovah is what's called a transliteration. So when they took it from Hebrew and moved it into the Greek and moved it into the Latin, they didn't have the language structure to do Yahweh, so they came up with the idea of Jehovah. So Jehovah and Yahweh are the same name, essentially. Yeshua is Hebrew. And Yahweh, or Jehovah, would be more what we would consider a Greek transliteration. That's where we get the word Jesus. So his Hebrew name is Yeshua, and his, his Greek name, or his Latin name, would be Jesus, which is Jehovah saves. So Yahweh saves, Jehovah saves. You guys understand that now? You got that? Okay, good. Next slide, please. One finger, John. One finger. Did he leave me? John left me and forsook me. There you go. The power of God. So he binds himself to his name. He gives us what's called compound names. You have a compound name. You have a first name and a last name, right? And usually your first name, anybody got to have a name that means anything? What's your first name mean? What's your first And what's it mean? One who saves, drawn out, salvation, yeah. Royalty, there you go. Anybody else, one more? What's that? God answers. So you have a name that means something. That's how our God is. And we have a last name, and a lot of times our last names are related to something our family did or from regions that we're from, right? In the Bible, Mary Magdalene is Mary Magdala. So her name is Mary from the region of Magdala. That's why she's called Mary Magdalene. Because she was, oh, which Mary? The Mary from Magdala. Oh, that Mary, Mary Magdalene. You get it? Some of you are like Catalan, you know? I've met some Spanish people. They're from, their last name's Catalan. There's a region in Spain called what? Exactly. You get it? Sometimes it's like, uh, I don't know, Fisher, you know, Robert Fisher. You know, what does he do? His dad was a fisherman. He's that, you know, there's just, that's, that's the point. You, you're, that's what your name means. God gives his compound name, and he gives us his, his first, his, the, his covenant name attached with a, with, some, with a promise. These are just eight basic ones. Jehovah to Sidkenu, which means he's our righteousness. When you come to Christ, these are the promises that he binds himself to you with. And they are for every believer, and they deal with sin, they deal with his spirit, they deal with the soundness of you, and they deal with your success. These are fundamental, okay? I talked, you know, we talked about like the silver package, the gold package, and the platinum package, okay, of promises. This would be the basic package of promises. There's other packages available, but your first package is this one, all right? Yeah. He is our righteousness, 
You cannot make yourself right with Jesus. You are made right. You understand that? You belong to him. He, how, who, made, who says you're saved? He does. Who made you right with God? He did. What did you do? I gave my heart to him, and he said he would do it, and he, made, he gave it back to me. This is what he gave me. This drives us crazy in the church, okay? We have structures within our religious institutions that deny that very thing. This is why grace is so amazing. We have a holiness tradition that says if we don't freak people out and constantly keep them under God's judgment, then everybody's going to run off in sin. That's what we say. So we got to preach this holiness thing, and we got to everybody freak out. Everybody's got to be under the fear of God constantly. That's not the heart of the Father. How do you know? Listen, if you are born again, your heart has changed. Can we agree with that? The things that you like to do, you really don't like to do them anymore. It's not that you don't want to do them. You think, well, yeah, I think I kind of like to do that, but you just don't feel like you do. You, you, you think, maybe I, I, I used to like that, so why don't I like it anymore? Something has changed inside of you. So if you're born again, that means you're a sheep. Before you were born again, let's just, I, I always use this analogy, sheep and pigs. When a pig gets in the mud, they roll in it. When a sheep gets in the mud, they cry out. So what happens to you when you get in the mud? Are you crying out? Or are you going, yeah, I love it. You cry out. Why do you cry out? Because your heart's changed. Whereas before, you didn't have a problem rolling around in it. You didn't have a problem closing down three bars, getting up at four o'clock, coming home at four o'clock in the morning, sleeping all day and going to do it again. Now you can't do it. And you, don't, you wonder why. You know, because your heart's changed. Nothing's changed about you. As, nothing's changed about maybe the opportunities, but something's changed inside of you. You see, that is the evidence of the transformation of the Spirit of God. That's when you know you're born again. Is that what you used to do? I knew I led a guy to Jesus one time. I'll tell you a story. On a job site, because I used to work building construction. I lead this, uh, they, uh, so I'm, I'm like a lead guy. I'm a journeyman. I'm the guy that's out there, you know, here, do this. And then they give us an apprentice to work with. And this apprentice was just constantly asking me questions about Jesus all the time. I said, man, just want you to ask him in your heart. I said, you seem like you're really hungry for him. I said, look, let's you know, pray right now. I pray with him. He comes back to me a couple days later, and he goes, man, you wrecked me, man. He's like, you wrecked me. I go, what do you mean I wrecked you? He goes, I can't have sex with my girlfriend anymore. He's like, I feel so guilty. She's looking at me like, what's wrong with you? And he's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. Well, what happened? There was an evidence. There was a hard change within him. Something shifted within him. It wasn't like he couldn't just step over the line and do it, but he felt something that he didn't feel before, where there was no barrier to that. Now, all of a sudden, there's something in his heart that's changed. I had a guy one time told me, I had a girl one time, one of my most two really beautiful stories. Some girl gave her life to Christ. She came up to me and she said, listen, I, I want to know, did I do it right? How do I know? I said, what's different? She goes, oh, wow, that's easy. She's like, I can forgive. And I said, you couldn't forgive before? She's like, no. She's like, I hated people, you know? I had another guy. If you ever saw this guy, he kind of looked like Rick Ross, right? Most loving dude you'd ever meet, Okay. But he told me he was all about violence, and he was all about, he told me two things. Before Jesus, it was concrete and heat. He said, that's all I saw. He said, I saw nothing else. But when he came to Jesus, his hope, everything changed. That's the evidence. You have to realize he made you right. You don't make yourself right. You can't disappoint the one you did not appoint. He appointed you. He has called you righteous. It doesn't mean, I tell people this, it doesn't mean you don't need to take a bath. 
You may be stinky, you may be muddy, you may be smelly, you may have been rolling in some things that you didn't want, you shouldn't be rolling in, but you still belong to him. Come on. We teach these fear of God, and then we have a Catholic system that teaches a system of penance. Whereas if you do wrong, then you've got to make some kind of repayment, mandated. In other words, you've got to earn it. You've got to earn the forgiveness. That's another system that's completely wrong. God doesn't have to, he doesn't give you penance. The system of penance is man-made. It's not God-made. Only thing God says is confess yourself and he's faithful, confess your sins and he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. That's the only penance you need is the confession of the heart before the Father and he'll cleanse you. And then he says, don't do it again. You say, well, what if I do it again? Well, then go back and confess it. Well, how many times if I do it? 70 times seven. I mean, provision for forgiveness is there, Christian. There's no condemnation. You can't be condemned because you've been made righteous. Somewhere along the line, we got to get this. It affects everything. It changes your relationship. The love of Christ compels us. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us unto him, to repentance, but leads us unto him. Jehovah Makedash, he sets you apart. Sanctification. I came to Jesus. Beer drinkers and hellraisers was my background. My wife hates it when, she, when I tell this story. But it is, who, it is who I was. That guy died a long time ago. I've heard stories about him. Yeah, I knew that, you know, I... I think I read a book about that guy, or saw a comic book about him one time, but the guy that I was died a long time ago. And I come from a family of beer drinkers and hell raisers. That's all I can tell you, right? And so that, just use your imagination. Charles Bronson, Clint Eastwood, those are the idols of my, John Wayne. All that and more, all right? So when I come to Christ, I go up and I visit my family. I'm born again. I'm a believer. All my friends that I used to party with pick me up in a car, and they got all this stuff that's in the car, and they're ready. we're like ready to go. Come on, man. Oons, oons, oons. Let's do this. And I didn't want anything to do with it anymore. And it wasn't because the pastor preached it at me. It wasn't because I had a peer group that was pressuring me. It was because my heart had changed. Sanctification. God sets your heart apart. What the Christian doesn't understand is the Lord will set your heart apart. And say this with me. When he, I have to press in. Say this with me. I have to press in to sanctification. He's going to set you apart. There's going to be things in your heart and in your life that he's going to lead you away from. There's going to be things in your heart and in your life he's going to lead you into. And that doesn't mean he's doing that for everybody. The way he's setting you apart may not be the way he's setting your neighbor apart. You understand that? Where the Christian fails is we fail to press into the sanctification. Just because they're sitting there and my heart tells me, okay, I don't really want to do this. I don't want to party with these guys out in that way anymore. I'm not about that anymore. They looked at me like I was from Mars. I still had the choice to step into it. You understand? Even though the witness was on my heart not to do it, I had a choice. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus isn't going to take the beer out of your hand. You know, I had a problem with alcohol at the time, right? I had a problem. I, I had a problem. Let's just say that. So that was an issue for me. So God, and there was an issue with music. I gave up all my music. And again, nobody told me that. I just realized that I had made an idol out of this music. All of the, I was really into music. And somebody told me, if you can't give up music for 30 days, you don't have music. Music has you. And I went, what? And then I began to think, what is it in your life that you can't give up for 30 days? What is it? Whatever that is, it, you don't have it. It has you. And I'd realized this is an idol for me, and I got rid of it because I didn't want anything else. I wanted Jesus. I'd, I'd, I'd made a mess of myself, and so <laughs> he, he's got a better plan. I'm all in. I don't, I don't have any ideas. You're the best idea. Let's go for that. That's how it worked. 
But he wasn't telling my, wasn't telling my roommate not to do that. He wasn't telling any other people that he knew. He was telling me that. And so I had to make that decision that this is the path I'm going to go, right? And there's something called redemption and reclamation, okay? What God will do is he'll redeem you. He'll ask you to set things apart for a time, and he will mature you to a way that you can go back and reclaim that. I've known musicians that have played in bands and have done all kinds of crazy stuff. They come to Christ. They don't want to touch the music. They don't want to touch the instrument. They don't want to touch it. Why? Because they identify with something else. They feel a witness in their heart that that's not where they want to go. And you know what? They probably should follow that because what God will do is he will reclaim that. He will allow you to come back in time and reclaim what you lay down for him. I got no issues listening to the music that I used to listen to before. Doesn't bother me because it doesn't have the same hold on me that it did before. You understand? I got no issues with a beer or a glass of wine because it doesn't hold me, right? And if you have a problem with it, I'm not telling you to do it. You know, that's what I tell people. So I'm not going to get off on that, that tangent. But what I used to be is not what I am. So there's a sanctification. My point that I want to make to you is you have to press into sanctification. He's not going to do it for you. You understand that? He's not going to do it for you. He's going to give you a witness on your heart. He's going to set you apart, and he's going to do that. And what we're, the other error of the Christian is they feel like, oh, I'm being set apart. The Lord's told me not to drink coffee. And so now they take it as their missional mandate to tell everybody in the church that coffee's a sin. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about? Anybody know that? Or they have a witness in their heart that they shouldn't see an R-rated movie that's not about Jesus. And so now they tell the entire church, and they want to go around and tell it. They want to be the Holy Spirit for everybody else. Oh, come on. <laughs> You, it, it is to your own conscience you must be conformed to, right? I tell the story, I was in Germany. They didn't have a problem drinking beer after church. I was freaked out. They had a problem with me drinking a pot of coffee, though. They freaked out at that. They were like, oh, my gosh. Don't you know that caffeine is a, is a mild-level drug? And I'm, they're like looking at me. And I'm thinking, don't you think that 18 ounces of beer after church, might, there might be a, a disconnect there? <laughs> He go out after church. One beer, please. Ooh, the pastor. Come on. You know, pretzels and beer for everybody. And then at breakfast table, I'm having three cups of coffee, and they're like, oh, my gosh. Really? Three cups? We need to pray for this guy. It's true. Jehovah Shalom, he's our flourishing. God will cause you to flourish. That's what Shalom means. It's not Zen serenity. He will cause your life to prosper. He will cause your life to flourish. He has promised you that if it does not happen, you know what your question is? Why? Why? And I can assure you the problem's with you, not with him. There's a misalignment somewhere. But he has promised to flourish you. He has promised to bring peace and shalom, glory to your life. There's some things that he wants to do, and we're our own worst enemy, man. And if you know that, he wants to bring peace in your home, but you can't keep your mouth shut. When are you going to bring peace in my home? The minute you start learning to shut your mouth. Ooh. <laughs> Ouch. When are you going to bring peace in my home? The minute you open up and allow yourself to be vulnerable. The minute you start, and, and, and the minute you start taking accountability for your own mistakes. I'll bring peace. I'll bring reconciliation. But I can't get you to own anything, so I can't build a bridge. Oh, I'm just believing God to bring peace in my home. Really? He's waiting on you. We partner with him. First thing you do when you ask Jesus for something is he shows you you. You know what it is? It's the principle of the speck and the plank. 
Why are you pointing out the speck in your brother or sister's eye when you got a plank? You want God to do something in your life or your relationships or your thing? He's going to show you. You're going to say, oh, Lord, when are you going to give me a new job? And he says, as soon as you prove honor in this one, show up on time, do your work, and don't complain about your wages, and I'll give you a new job. All three of those are, all three of those are verses. Well, we can't do that. I don't want to show up on time. This boss isn't paying me enough. I'm not giving them anything. I'm not adding value to nothing. Well, you will not be honored by heaven. Until you get your heart right before heaven, then he'll open up the door. I'm telling you, it's how it works. We prove our honor. We prove it. He has it for you, but you have to align. The blessing is with your alignment. It's with your alignment. I get people that want to teach. This is a big ministry thing. Oh, I can preach the lights out. I mean, I need a ministry. I'm like, great. We got a children's ministry that needs leaders. Oh, no, no, no. I'm called to preach in the main room. Well, too bad, bro. Not going to happen. Teach the kids. If you can't teach five-year-olds, you're not going to teach 50-year-olds. I got news for you. That's how I did it. I did it for years. I taught five-year-olds. I freaked out until the Lord told me, I'm going to teach you how to teach adults by teaching children. I'm going to teach you to be humble because all the people are are big kids. That's all they are. It's true. We, we, we come into church and we want a scepter of rulership, and Jesus wants to hand you a mop of servitude. You will not get the scepter of rulership until you take the mop of servitude, Christian. It's just the way it is. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Jesus is a servant. Nathan was just exactly what he said. He's the greatest of all servants. He's the greatest one who loves. He comes to us as a servant. We are no greater than him. He has a process for you. He will give you your heart, and he will give you what he's put in your heart, but you have to follow the process. That's the point. He's our healer. He's our presence. Let's go there. We are a people of his presence. The early church was known for two things. They were called Christites, images of Jesus, and they were called people of his presence. They were literally an indescribable people. They had to create a new language in order to describe the early believer because they were something that no one had ever seen before. And they're like, yeah, these are these people that are always like in the presence of the Lord. And they just, you know, are constantly loving and singing songs and serving and helping people. And that was the only thing they could relate it to was that they were people of his presence. There were these people who just get into the presence of their God and then they come out and do these crazy things. That's how they defined them. Or they said they're just images of Jesus. They're Christites, which is where we get the word Christian from. We are a people of his presence. You have access 24-7 to his presence, Christian. If your heart is dry, the only problem is you. Enter his presence. Get before him. Let him love you. Let the Holy Spirit do what he does, minister to you, comfort you, lead you, teach you, exhort you, change you. It's as simple as Holy Spirit come. Let his presence come and step into what he gives big, big principle. Stepping in is a big principle. Big. Christians want the witness of the Spirit. We don't want the power. Oh, just make me feel warm and fuzzy. That's all I want. That's it. We don't want the power. We're just warm and fuzzy. And then the Lord will go, okay, in your warm and fuzziness, I need this from you. Oh, no, no, no. I just want warm and fuzzy, Jesus. I just want warm and fuzzy. And that's why we're not changed. The Bible says of, of uh, Moab, emptied vessel to vessel, but never changed. Therefore, their scent remains. They never emptied themselves of what they had given. They kept taking and taking and taking, and their scent never changed. Just a thought. We are a people of his presence. You have access to his presence. She's our healer. This is a promise. Say this with me. Jesus is a holistic healer. He heals spirit. 
He heals emotion and he heals body. He's a healer. He's a provider. He takes care of you. Do you know what the word provision means? It means, it means resources for the vision. We want provision, but we have no vision. You know what I'm saying? There's something called supply, which he'll supply your needs, but there's something called provision. He will provide for the vision, the vision of the church collective, the vision of the individual. So the statement is, is get the vision of God. There was no heavenly revelation, therefore the people were without restraint. They were running all over the place. Where there is no vision, the people perish. We need to get a vision. Where God guides, we provide. Those are the little words we say, right? I say get a prophetic vision from the Lord. Let him show you and begin to move into that. Your provision is attached to that prophetic word, guaranteed. What we do is we get a vision from God and we go, okay, Lord, when you show up, when you give me everything I need, I'm going to do it. It doesn't work like that, man. You got to step in with what you don't have. Say it with me. You go with what you got. That's right. He's showing you because he wants you to go with what you got. And you say, I don't have much. It doesn't matter. How many times can we see that in the scripture? They went with what they had. Loaves and fishes, jars of oil. I mean, we see that over and over again. They went with what they had. He just wants you to go with what you got. Jehovah Rohi, he's your shepherd. You should never be without leadership. He will guide you. If anyone lacks wisdom, what? That's right. Come on. He's the God of the valley and he's the God of the mountaintop. He will lead you through the valley of the shadow of death. He will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He will lead you beside the still waters and make you lie down in green pastures. He will lead you. He meets you on the mountaintop and he meets you in the valley. That's right. That's right. That's who he is. You don't need to look to Oprah Winfrey. You don't need to dial the psychic network. I'm telling you. So we do. We call everybody but Jesus. He doesn't hate people say, well, in the multitude of counsel, there is wisdom. Okay. Jesus doesn't have a problem with that. I always tell people he has a problem with being second. He doesn't have a problem with doctors, Christian. He has a problem with being second. And so often in a church, the first place we run to is the doctor. And we treat the doctor as if he's almighty God. Well, the doctor said this and the doctor said that. I'm like, well, what does Jesus say? Well, I don't know, you know, but the doctor said this and the doctor said that. He doesn't have a problem with doctors. But let, can we exhaust all of our resources spiritually first? People will fly across the country to find a specialist, but we won't go across the street to a healing meeting. You'll go to the, if that doctor told you to stand on your head and spin around three times, you'd do it if you thought it would heal you. But you go to a healing thing and they say, come up and let us lay hands on you. Oh, no, no. Oh, no, 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 no. If the doctor said, listen, your cure is found in dyeing your hair blue, okay, uh, painting your fingernails, and I want you to run back and forth 20 times, and if you run back and forth 20 times, you'll be healed. You would be doing that like crazy if it was somebody with a medical badge on that told you that. The Holy Spirit tells you that, and it's like, forget it. This This is the pivot that has to happen. Jesus has to be preeminent. He may give you counsel and tell you to go to a doctor. He may give you counsel and tell you to go a different way. He may have provided the means naturally for that to, that to happen. But the issue is, is we go to him first. We exhaust our spiritual resources first. Just a thought. <laughs> All right, he's our banner. His banner over you is love, Christian. I love Nathan. You guys ever get a chance to talk to Nathan? Nate, Nathan Taylor, okay? He's our worship leader this morning. Great guy. He's got a website and everything. But his testimony is so powerful, and if you ever talk to him, the one thing that's going to come out of you, man, this dude loves Jesus. And he lives as a son before his father. 
And everything is an expression out of that identity of him understanding that I am a son before my father. Before anything else, that is who I, that is who I am. And so it's, it's awesome because he understands that the banner that God puts over you is love. You understand that? You are loved, man. Freedom and liberty and love. Ladies, here you go. I'm going to give you another one, right? Women understand this. Again, I point out ladies because they tend to be more sensitive relationally and in intimacy. They're more sensitive to that than men tend to be. I'm not saying across the board. Some guy goes, oh, I cry, I cry man. What are you trying to tell me? I'm not sensitive. I'm like, That's not what I'm saying, man. I know you cry, okay? <laughs> if a woman knows she's loved or if a woman has true love, she'll give everything. Am I right? Women will give it all. 100%. Men, we kind of think about it. Well, should I or shouldn't I? I'm not sure. It's true. Come on. But that woman, she's all in. She gives it all because she knows if she knows she's loved. That woman will take a bullet for that dude if she knows he's loved. She will scratch and claw any person that gets near him. I'm serious. Come on. Help me out. If she knows she's loved, she'll give everything. This is the point. God wants us to know how much we are loved and how secure we are in his love that we give everything. We hold nothing back. There's no reason for us to hold anything back because he's safe. There's no reason to hold anything back because he will never hurt you. He, he may, what he, where Jesus hurts you is in your pride. He doesn't hurt your vulnerability. You understand that? He doesn't hurt. When you, with the vulnerable side of you, he doesn't hurt. He will offend your pride. He will tell you what time it is when you think, when you, think you know better. He will challenge your belief system and your structures. He, his offense is at your pride, never at your vulnerability. Your vulnerability, he will love, he'll nurture, he'll come around, and he'll protect. But if your vulnerability is rooted in pride, he's going to tell you that. You have a victim mentality. No, I don't. No, I don't. I'm just hurt. No, you're a victim, and you're pride. And you, 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 you relish the identity of being a victim. He may tell you something. I've seen it. I did, you know, just a thought. Next slide. All right, I'm going to go quick. So we are his name. We carry the same thing. So our lives should produce this stuff. If we follow Jesus and we bear his name, not only should we be accessing this, but we should be able to produce this. There should be righteousness in your life, Christian. Your life should produce righteousness. What is righteousness? Say it with me. Righteousness is what is right to God. It is not what is right to a culture. It is not what is right to the majority. It is not what is right to a government. The government says this is okay. Well, they passed the law. It must be okay. Well, did the Lord say that? I don't think so. So righteousness is not determined by a government. We don't get to vote on what is right or wrong. Righteousness is what is right to the Lord, period. So righteousness should be coming out of our lives in some way. You may not have it all together, but you should have a few areas together because the Holy Spirit is working. You understand? doesn't mean everything's right, but there should be a few things that the Lord is generating that is right. He's working on you sanctification. There should be some areas in your life that have changed. You should be different from where you used to be. You should. That's, what, that's how he's working on you. And the way you grow is you press into that sanctification. Let that come to its fullness. Then he takes you to another level. Then he starts, he starts setting you apart. And as he sets you apart, he grows you and matures you. Most Christians are infants because they don't let the spirit, they don't follow the sanctification that God puts on their heart. And I know it's hard. And maybe you can't, you can't take, you know, the steak, but can you eat the ravioli? I mean, can you, can you, 
Can you take the smaller bites of the soft food? Can you, can you be faithful in the little things? If you can't do the really big things now, can you start with something? Can you do something and say, okay, this is what I'm going to set apart. This is what I'm doing, and I know this is not right before the Lord because my heart is telling me this. I'm not going to ignore my heart anymore. I'm going to yield to the Lord, and I'm going to follow this. Oh, my gosh. Do that for a year and tell me your life doesn't change. Do that for a year and tell me something doesn't transform. Just the thought. Shalom, flourishing, should come out of your life. You should not only be receiving blessing, you should be blessing other people. You should be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. Mm-hmm. You should be causing, you should be adding value and growing things around you. You should be a people of his presence, a practitioner. Say it with me. A practitioner of his presence. Listen. Say this with me. There's a difference between measure and fullness. Most Christians, come on, you say that. Most Christians are satisfied only with measure. Very few want fullness. It's true. They just, come on. Hiya! Most Christians are satisfied only with measure. They want the witness of the, pro, the, witness of the Lord, just little, little things, oh, mm, feel good. They don't want to press into what, where the fullness lies. Jesus is in the fullness, man. That's what I want. If he says there's more, I'm like, okay, there's more of this? Well, I want more of that. What do I got to do? There's no price that, that, that's, high, that's too high for me to pay to have that. I may not be emotionally ready to give it, but I'm believing God that he'll emotionally make me ready to give that price because I want that. I want fullness. We should want fullness. We should be practitioners of his presence. Listen, Christian, practice in your house. Just practice. I just dare you. Just practice. Ten minutes a day. Just turn worship music on, whatever. Holy Spirit, come. And when the peace starts coming over you, begin to give yield yourself to the peace. The presence of God starts coming over you. Begin to yield yourself to the presence. Just, just practice. You don't have to worry about anybody looking at you. You can even practice lifting your hands in your house, right? You don't have to feel awkward in church. Practice it at home. Be a practitioner of his presence. He starts showing you things. He starts telling you things. Move into what he's showing you. Step into what he's showing you. Well, I don't know. It might get weird. It's not going to get weird. It's going to get cool. People go, what if the devil talks to me? Oh, dude, if you're seeing devil visions, we need to have a deeper conversation, right? <laughs> it's true. It's true. If we ask him for bread, he will not give us a stone. If we ask him for fish, he will not give us a serpent. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your father know how to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And why does he use Holy Spirit? Because he's saying you don't need to worry about it. If you're asking me for the Holy Spirit, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. If you're asking the Holy Spirit to come, the Holy Spirit's going to come. There's not going to be deception there. Just a thought. Provision, guidance, and identity needs to be part of the process. Healing. Last slide. Thank you guys for sticking around so long. <laughs> You're like, what time is it? I don't know. It's 5 o'clock. What? No, just kidding. <laughs> this is the last slide. How do we operate according to his promises? By discipline. Sometimes, guys, you don't feel like doing anything. Discipline is the lowest level of discipleship, but it's necessary. Christians, we celebrate the celebration of discipline. Do you know that discipline is the lowest level of discipleship you can get? The highest level is that you do it, with, you do it without having to discipline yourself. You just, it becomes through relationship. It becomes a natural response. Discipline is when you don't feel like it. That's all discipline is. God says, speak kindly. You're like, I don't know if I got that in me today, you know. 
I've been having some problems lately at my son's basketball game, so yeah, it's been a bit challenging for me. You guys need to pray for me. And I can feel the Lord telling me, and I'm like, Sherry's like, would you leave the referee alone, Kevin? I'm like, I'm trying. I'm really trying. (laughs) I had a bad day yesterday, so let's just say that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right? So I got to discipline myself. I got to shut up when I'm like, you call that a foul? (laughs) Is this football or basketball? What are you putting in there? You're like, oh, man, I don't want to go to a basketball game with him. So anyway, so uh, we discipline ourselves without feeling. By the Spirit, get in the Spirit and do the things that God's setting before you. And here's the evidence. This is the reality. When you live from the, this is what they call the abundant center. The abundant center of the Lord is knowing that you're loved. The abundant center of the Lord is knowing that he is for you. When you know that you are loved and you know that he is for you, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. You know that you can love other people. You know it. You can bless other people. You bless other people because there's always more, man. There's always more. You can only give what you have, what you, well, you can only give out of what you have. So the goal is becoming what you, knowing what you have and who you are so that you can live fully from that center and be blessed. Well, thanks, guys. I'm going to pray for you guys. We're going to dismiss. Amen. Come on. You know what? Let's just honor the Lord. If you're here this morning and you've never given your heart to Jesus, And you hear me testifying of these things, but in your heart somehow you're feeling, man, I don't know. I don't know if I'm settled on that. Well, we're going to pray together as a group. And all we ask you to do is just pray that prayer with us and open your heart. Even if you don't understand everything, Jesus told you to believe in your heart, not with your head. You don't have to understand it. You just need to believe it. Belief and understanding are two completely different things. So just open your heart. The church is going to pray with us, and we're going to pray, and we're just going to ask Jesus to do what he does. He's going to come into your heart, and he's going to take you at his word, at your word, and he's going to come in, and everything's going to change, and nothing's ever going to be the same. From the inside out, everything's going to change. And so if that's you, just do this with us. Just pray with us. Let's pray together, church. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. And I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me bless you guys. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. And may he be gracious to you and give you peace. And may you forever abide within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. We have fire starters at 3 o'clock if you want to come back. It's going to be fun.